Hello, everyone. This is Rafael Garcia here for another edition of the MMA ratings interview series. And it's funny because it's 2021 and I already have no idea what episode number we are on. So I'm going to have to go back and figure that out. But none of that really matters because we have a guest on today that I've been looking forward to talking to today. And it is none only than Nancy Kidder. Uh, I hope I said your last name right. Did I say your last name right? I apologize if I didn't. Not at all. Perfect. Okay, phew. That's the thing I have with saying people's names right. So yeah. I thank you. I'm glad I got that right on the yep. first shot. However, Nancy, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I have, It's a pleasure to be on this program with you, Raphael. Oh, I appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you to talk a little bit about your background in combat sports. And I really want to get to know more about writing and fighting and just some of the work that you do as well. I also noticed that you work with a nonprofit as well too. So just to really get to know more about you. And as we've kind of talked about on the show with the MMA ratings interview series, we're looking more into the people who are behind the scenes. We get to hear the fighters talk all the time. We hear all the promoters talk all the time and everyone else, but we don't get to hear about the people who actually bring us the sport that we may not get to hear from the photographers, the writers, the, people who work at the events, maybe even the referees. So that's what the purpose of this show is. So we are very appreciative to have Nancy on today and I look forward to this conversation. Great, let's get to it. So let's jump right in. Uh, Nancy, I wanna know more about your background in combat sports. Like I feel like everyone has an interesting story of I remember the first time I watched a fight or went to a show. What was yours? When did you first know that you fell in love with combat sports? Ah, this is a great question. Um, and I love that you asked this. To everyone because it it does it's different and it defines um the way you look at it i think the whole for the rest of your life so my the fight that brought me in um was in 19 i think it was in 1993 uh the mike tyson buster douglas fight uh were you alive Raphael, for this fight <laughs> yes i oh, i was <laughs> Oh my lord, they were born in 2001-2002. So it, it it's really I'm an ancient one when I bring that up. So I'm glad. So you you know this fight. Um yes, I do. So I have to like kind of set the scene. I'm a 13-year-old girl from um Columbus, Ohio. I lived in a suburb right outside of it. And you know Mike Tyson at that point, it was, you know, Iron Mike. He had such a uh, he was just everything throughout pop culture. He ruled and he had, you know, was able to finish people, um, you know, and, and get these knockouts. Uh, so he is fighting in Tokyo against Buster Douglas, who is the hometown hero of Columbus, Ohio. You know, we Columbus doesn't have much. We have uh, Ohio State. We don't have any other pro teams, um, especially at that point. And uh, this was everything. And I'll never forget going in my parents' basement they had friends over uh and i just remember thinking oh okay this is you know i've seen boxing i'll, I'll maybe stick around but that fight is just tremendous watching it i recommend everyone to go rewatch that fight there's a great um 30 for 30 called 42 to 1 those were the odds uh and um i think we all know that buster douglas won he beat uh Mike Tyson and for nine months Columbus Ohio was the hometown of the heavyweight champion of the world 
Uh, and then I, I think you know, Rafael, that Bastragos didn't maintain that uh, championship <laughs> uh, belt much longer, but I was hooked. And um, so I actually, boxing was something that I followed and would watch, um, you know, with my dad, um, you know, on Saturday nights. And um, it was later that I came into MMA. Um, but I don't know if, if you want me to, to, to give you that, because that, how I got into MMA also is connected to academia for me. So let's touch on that in a second, but we're already going to veer off a little bit, and I kind of enjoy doing this, asking kind of curveball questions. Yeah. You brought up Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson. So I remember that fight, and uh, I remember specifically, and it's funny because it's more of a joke because you're from the area where he, he was from. Did Buster Douglas get a long count? Oh, Did he get a long count or not? The eighth round? Yes. Yes. Hey, I okay. We have that, but you know, sometimes in history, you gotta you gotta side with the lockout, <laughs> and um, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's a little controversial. Uh, but um, do I believe uh, you're you're I have to you're making me say, like, did he have a long count? To be honest, yes. But um, I think that in history, it's you know those things kind of uh, have to happen. Sometimes. So we're going to end the show there just because I got you to admit that he actually got a long count and I don't have anything else to ask you. So we're just going to end it right there. But um, no, I'm not going to do that. I do specifically remember that fight and I, I, I've seen the 30 for 30. It is, it is something definitely worth uh, watching. Do you make your, do you have your students watch that? I do. Um, that one I have, um, I go back and forth because there's so many great 30 for 30s. Um, you know, uh, there's um, a couple that they have, um, on, I think they have one on Joe, not Joe Lewis. Um, they have one on the Holmes, Muhammad Ali. They have one on um, Tommy Morrison, which is really interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I um, I have them know about that fight. That's for sure. So you mentioned that uh, your entry into MMA was involved with academia. Could you give us some more about that? How did that happen? Yes. Well, um, I. Um, was, you know, I, I think I told you a boxing fan. And I started uh, my grad school in 2013. I um, went to American University, which is where I now teach writing as well, um, and got my master's in creative writing. And um, around that time, my husband um, really was getting into mixed martial arts. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit of a traditionalist. And I thought that boxing is the pure sport and, you know, I, I hate to think that I, I was that kind of snob, um, but um, my husband started uh, watching it and I started listening more and more and kind of staying at the TV longer. Um, and as my husband told me, it really truly is this human chess match. And um, as I was going through my program, I started um, going back, I was doing, um, kind of some work on personal essays and other forms of um, long form. And I went back and started reading A.J. Leibling um, and reading some old fight writers and then reading, um, are you familiar with Chuck Mindenhall, who used to be at MMA Fighting, a great writer. And I realized how the writing really of combat sports is so rich 
um, not only does it have to convey the action, it also can, has to have a narrative um, to tell the backstory. And as I was going along too with Ronda Rousey was coming about, I really saw how gender um, and um, combat sports was something that you could analyze um, along with race and politics and economics. Uh, and so after I had uh, finished my grad school and I started teaching, I realized um, at American, you can actually create a writing program based on a genre. And um, usually they have something like Shakespeare or comedy or gender studies. And Raphael, they did not have combat sports as a way to uh, analyze writing um, and literature. Uh, but that's when I was getting immersed in MMA and realizing how, how rich in subject matter it could be, um, I decided to start creating a course. And now that was in 2017, I've taught, um, I think about 10 or 11 semesters and uh, it keeps getting greater. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, students are learning more and more. So what was the initial reaction to your class? Is it something that was very popular right from the start or did it take some time for people to really wanna come and learn? how you or was it did it take some time for people to come and begin taking your classes or did it like really explode right from the start so that's a great question because uh you know we have a lot of students who will actively read the description of a course um and rafael i had to tell you some students take a course based on the time <laughs> or the professor so i had some students but there were I'd say at least half the students in my first class who did not know they were walking into a writing and fighting class. And um, what's great is I now most students do know <laughs> what they're getting into because uh, it, it is a, a rather popular course. Uh, but I welcome students who they don't have to be fans. You do not have to be someone who is all oriented in it because I want various perspectives. I love having the non-fight fan give their opinion on what they think about Muhammad Ali or what they think about safety um, and whether there are different regulations need to be had. So um, it it was it's interesting to see some of the students' faces. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, it's a big kind of clear trigger warning. If you're not into blood, please don't take my class. <laughs> so. So that you said something that really kind of caught my attention there because you said non-fight fans take your class as well too. If you had to give like a percentage wise, how many do you think are fight fans versus non-fight fans? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think it's still like fight fans, students who regularly watch UFC, uh, follow boxing. I say that's still only a third of the class. And the rest have exposure. Here's another statistic how many people know who ronda rousey is and conor mcgregor i'd say 100 percent. whether they know what they do and have watched an actual match uh that's um not as high but the awareness is there so how many people do you think you may have converted to fight fans by the end of the se uh, semester oh gosh Raphael, 
you know what? I love, I secretly love that. Um, I'll be honest, quite a few. As, as you know, this, the, the combat sports is intoxicating. Um, you, you, once you get into it, it's hard to not want to keep track of what a fighter's doing. Um, how do they size up in skill and technique to their next opponent? Uh, you know, uh, so I definitely have created some fans, fanatics maybe too. Um, you know, I hope that that's goes okay with, um, my job as a, you know, an educator, <laughs> but I'd say, um, a good deal, like if we're coming from people who've never watched it, I'd say about a third definitely like keep watching it, keep going. So you should call Dana White and say like, hey, you know, I should get a cut of some of these pay-per-view buys that he has going on because you're basically sending a business every month or so, huh? <laughs> exactly. And I'm creating very, you know, educated consumers. You know, they, uh, they understand the value of the product. See that? So I'm I'm making new business for you already. Um, I took some time to look at your at the website that you have for the class, and I was wondering, looking at the syllabus that you have and everything that's planned out, how did you come? How did you come up with that? What steps did you take to kind of make that syllabus and not? Because there's so much you could have talked about oh. when it comes to combat sports as a whole. How did you hone things down into what you could teach over the course of however long a semester is? Full year. Um, with, you're right, the amount of content you can work with that I want to work with. Um, plus, I also kind of keep readjusting my syllabus because I want to keep it um, topical. And we use current fights to talk about um, commentary and promotion and, and how they're building a fight. Um, so I want to keep it current. Uh, but what I, I guess what I really wanted to do is kind of I, I broke it up into three main types of rhetoric that I wanted to make sure we covered. The first being sports writing, um, the journalism, um, from the objective kind of way of, of covering a sport or statistics and knowledge, all the way to more literary journalism, where you're um, using fictive techniques of scene and character and dialogue to really um, convey the human element of uh, combat sports. So that's what we start with is um, the sports writing. And that's where I get to really enjoy bringing them um, some great writing from, they call it the golden age when, when boxing was the number one sport in the world and millions of people were listening on the radio. Um, and even before radio, they needed print to understand what was happening in the ring if they couldn't be there in person. And so you can really see how much the writers had to step up with their action verbs and their description um, to convey all of this. Uh, so just the people we go, I, I bring in George Plimpton, Norman Mailer, AJ Leibling, who I've said, uh, we bring in Richard, uh, James Baldwin, Richard Wright, uh, you know, a, a, a lots of really interesting things. And I get my modern um, MMA writers from um, Chuck Middenhall uh, to Fernanda Prachis, who you've had on your show. And um, I have them for their assignment. They have to write their own 
sports article on a made-up fighter because I don't want them to borrow from other uh, writing. They have to, and they can pick a time, they can pick a, a different era. It can be uh, boxing, MMA, wrestling, and uh, they create their own um, piece of, uh, I guess, writing and fighting literature. So it's funny that you mentioned James Baldwin. You're the, this is like the third conversation I may have had in like third days, that, <laughs> three days, excuse me, that has referenced James Baldwin. I'm reading a book about him now too. So that he's, he's my favorite author. So it's, it's always comes back to James at some point in time. It shows but, how prolific he is. Yeah, it always comes back to James at some point in time. But you mentioned Chuck Mendenhall and AJ Lively. Who are some of the other writers that are in the space today that you follow closely and you find yourself frequently reading their work? Oh, that's great. Um, Mark Ramondi, um, who was at ESPN, um, you know, when he was at MMA fighting, what I think about him is that he's the guy who um, is the, the post reporter who's digging up the money trail, right? Um, he was the one who really uh, covered the John Jones picogram. Do you remember that, Raphael? Um, with uh, when he was uh, USADA was having, yes. and he went and he figured out what was going on when when he was. I think they said he was pulsing old um, drugs and anything, but he actually broke down the science, and I thought that was really great. Uh, so I really appreciate what he does on that. Um, and, um, you know, I'm going to mention Fernanda again, because she, what I think is so great about her is that she um, brings in such a cheeky charm, um, which is also really intelligent. And I think it livens up the space of uh, fight writing uh, because it should be something that's not just um, stayed and and um, I want to say clinical, but you know, combat sports is an incredible, crazy sport that's been going on since you know the Greeks and the Olympics. Uh, and I love people who celebrate it and and know that uh, it's it, it, they bring it into different arenas um, and acknowledge that uh like fernando will talk about twitter and um and maybe um she'll talk about the 10 um stupidest fights or something but she 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 makes it um enlivens up the whole atmosphere yeah i always laugh at her work because with a lot of other MMA writers, it may come off, I don't want to say boring sometimes, a little bit of stodginess that may be thrown in there, but her work never falls into that space because you have no idea what she's going to be talking about from piece to piece. And I love that so much because it it kind of, it fits her personality. And that's something I really appreciate about her writing as well. And I made it a point to bring that up during when I spoke with her a couple months back, because that's what really stands out to me about her work. Yes, no. And and voice is something um, that we look at, and it's very important. You know, as when you're in college, you're learning your voice, if, especially if writing is going to be something that's going to be part of your life. Which, let's be honest, is part of everyone's life, um, whatever career you pick. And um, and knowing what style works for you uh, is so important. Um, 
Go ahead. The, no, okay, so sorry about that. The last question I want to ask about your class before we start talking more about MMA as an industry right now are what are some of the challenges? What do you what are some of the challenges you have in teaching during that course? And then what do you find the most rewarding? So like a two-part question. Uh, I'm just curious about that because uh, you deal with the, the, the students directly and you're teaching them such a, a different topic. What are some of the challenges that you have in that space and what do you find most rewarding from them as well? Ah, this is so great. Um, and I appreciate that you're asking these questions because my actually my first instinct is to say challenges are kind of what all professors have, especially now we've been virtual for this is our third semester, two and a half semesters. Um, and uh, I think challenges with writing is that a lot of students, um, it's the process of writing that they know what they want to say. They just don't know how to say it and they don't know how to start it and put it together. So part of my class, um, I kind of think of it as training um, as you do in the ring. You know, you gotta have, you gotta practice your reps and you know, um, you gotta have your jabs, you know, and you gotta bring in, um, you know, your evidence and your analysis. And, uh, and also just like anyone, you're, when you're first starting out, you're gonna suck. Right? Your your first draft especially should should really not be that great, but at least you get it down. Um, and so that's one of the challenges I see for a lot of my students. The rewards, um, well, we just named one being that I get to see people fall in love with fighting and and see that it's it's really more than just two people in a ring or a cage. It's a lot of it actually takes place in the gym in terms of training, but um, you really see people facing each other, um, get going beyond their biological desire to self-preserve themselves and, and also like be active and reactive to the opponent and what they're doing. Um, so, that is just, um, you know, to be able to, to witness that time and time again. Um, and the other reward I have to say, and I think I'm just like, this is a privilege about teaching a course like writing and fighting. I have such a great community in the MMA world. Um, and I think you knew this, Raphael, is that they are so supportive of this class. And, you know, what really kind of, you mentioned that um, I have a podcast and really I, I just started asking people to come and speak to my students. And um, I couldn't believe like how many people weren't turning me down, <laughs> you know, it's a weird thing to say. Uh, but um, especially when um, at the start of COVID in March, my students had been, um, you know, in doing a semester in person and then all of a sudden they were told go back to your home you know you have no more independence you can't see your friends um and you need to finish class from your basement um on your computer and so a lot of my students were just kind of frazzled deer in headlights and when i saw them the first class we had virtually i decided that day, like, I'm going to just email as many people in the community to see 
if they can come and just share some knowledge with my class and just, um, you know, give them some, you know, even pep talk. Because I also knew that you yourself, the, the fighting world had been shut down. Um, and so then um, it was great because so many people uh, turned up. I, my first uh, guest that semester was Angela Hill um, in the middle of March, um, talking about how she was doing medieval training um, with the new COVID protocols. So it was, um, I really thank, and then for all the people who would come on my, um, to my class, from journalists and analysts and commentators, um, writers, uh, filmmakers, it was, um, I really appreciate because I think the MMA world, um, I think it's just infused in this young sport is that we need to band together and um, and it's interesting because you talk about behind the scenes that your that your show is about Raphael. I almost feel like I'm I'm after the scene. I'm the the critical eye doing the analysis. And usually in a lot of fields, people don't want to really bother with you, right? You're you're the academic scholar, and you're kind of put over um, in a corner. And I really appreciate how much um, I think the MMA world values that they become part of the discourse um, in academia and scholarship and how valuable it is to have, you know, an academic lens in there because they're making meaning and we are, we are learning from it. And, you know, my students are able to look you know, whether it's looking at the Gracie's um, contributions to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or um, Campbell McLaren and what he did to build the UFC um, in the beginning in 1993, um, you know, they're seeing how a sport is formed. And um, that's very rare these days, right? It is very rare to get a inside look like that. So hearing you speak of it that way is, is very impressive. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing because it gives, like you said, it gives us an inside look that you will never see from the NFL. You'll never see in the NBA or even the hockey or major league soccer at this point. So that, I think that's definitely a reason to appreciate the work that you're doing as an educator. And you brought up discourse, which I was unable to make it to the panel that you did, what was that, two years ago now in 2019? It seems like two years ago. Ah, uh, thank you was for that, like mentioning it. I wish you, I wish we could have met. Was that last year or the it, year before? It was December of 2019. So okay, there we go. Yeah. A little bit over a year. So I, I was unable to make it to that, but do you have any other event, events like that planned for the future for your class or, or anything along those lines? Well, it was so funny. I was just talking to a colleague, um, about that event. Uh, and if I can just describe it a little bit, we the UFC was having an event in DC that month and it happened to be right at the end of my semester. So I reached out to another DC um, native, uh, Luke Thomas, about would you, what about if we did a Q&A with my students? Cause you know, there'll be other journalists here. They've been reading about you guys um, to be able to talk to different people and different people in the media. Um, and then 
it was so great because uh, Luke Thomas helped me to connect with Esther Lynn, um, who I'm sure you know is uh, one of the the foremost combat photographers, I think, in history. Um, and um, different people, um, Dan Stoop, who was the editor at The Athletic. We had Karen Bryant, who was the ES an ESPN anchor. Um, Josh Rosenblatt, who's written a book um, about concerning like mission martial arts. And um, we had Charles Disku, who is a local, he's an American University alum who works um, in commentary in the local MMA scene here in DC. So it was really great. And it became a bigger thing um, as it grew. It, initially, just like I was thinking a couple um, chairs, you know, for an informal Q&A. And then it became, you know, a full-on panel in a ballroom, uh, you know, where um, Angela Hill came just as an audience member. So uh, that was a really incredible thing. I have to say it's so sad because oh, it was in person, right? And I would love to do another one of those events. Um, I'm actually thinking, you know, obviously virtual panels, I, I was doing those. I've been doing a few of those, um, quite a few actually this year. Um, and what's nice about a virtual panel is that we don't need a location. We don't need travel. We don't need um, those kind of issues. We can just get a, a link on a platform and um, everyone can meet up. Um, but I do hope to do more of those when we get back to in-person. Yes, I would definitely love to attend one. I was un un unable to make, meet the first one, but if you ever have another one, I would gladly come and show some support there. I love it. You could, would you be on the panel? I would, I would, I would definitely be open to having that conversation. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, I want to talk about what we see in today's combat sports uh, landscape. And I just want to ask you first and foremost, who are some of the people you enjoy watching uh, as you as you still watch and partake in the, in the industry today? Who are some of the people that stand out to you? Oh, this is like asking who's your favorite child, right? Um, <laughs> every, every parent has one, and I don't, unless if you have one, every I, I swear to believe every parent has a favorite oh, child. I'm lucky, I only have <laughs> one daughter. Uh, so, I, I, that made, maybe that's why I stopped at one. Um, but who do I enjoy? Um, you know, oh, I, I love so many people. I'm, I hate to, I'm going to bring up Angela Hill because what I love about her is that she took 2020 and just, you know, the short notice queen, um, was able to really maximize her stuff. And I love that, um, her, in terms of style, her Muay Thai is just so interesting to watch and you never know. Um, when she's going to do like, you know, um, a sweep or something. And, um, you know, and she's got such great stamina. Uh, some other people, you know, um, I really, I've been talking to people about Dustin Poirier, obviously, and his, uh, the way he was able to keep to his plan of those shin kicks and not um, and adjust to Conor McGregor, that was, you know, such a thrill to watch. Um you know, um, who else in my, you know, um, in terms of combat sports, uh, Michaela Mayer, I'm really excited about, and I want to see she's a female boxer um, who is undefeated and um, is really, you know, I, I really want, I'm always having hope that women's boxing will eventually get to the point um, where it's, it's more equal to the men's side of it. 
um, it's just amazing. And this is something we talk about in my class, how MMA women were able to transcend that gender uh, barrier so much quicker, whether it's because it was a young sport, you had the power of Ronda Rousey, and just, um, you know, coming at an era where women have already um, crossed a lot of barriers. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I, I can go on if you want me to. <laughs> you definitely answered uh, fantastically, and I really um, appreciate that. So I wanted to also ask you, since you've you've been you've been watching combat sports since you mentioned since like ninety three earlier, and it's, I'm glad that it was it was that far back and that you remember the times of Tyson. Do you think we will ever see combat sports get back to that peak, and why or why not? Like, what needs to happen for us to get back to those times where everyone used to flock around the TV to see uh, Mike Tyson fight? I often wonder what he would be like if he lived in the era of social media. Would he have been as big, or would he have? Would some of his transgressions kind of cut that out before that uh, occurred? Like that's a conversation for another day. But okay. in reference of combat sports, what do you do? You think we're at its peak, or is there still growth to occur? And how do we get there? Well, I think that I have to. I think this is a great question, um, and we're actually I'm going to kind of break your question into two because um, if we were going to talk about boxing, yes. Mike Tyson was a peak. Muhammad Ali was a peak. Joe Lewis was a peak. Um, we can go back. Um, and boxing is definitely not where it was with Tyson, right? Uh, you know, it's there. I think there was a problem with the heavyweight championship with um, having so many different belts, the WBA, the IBF. No one knew who the heavyweight champion was. Um, it's even hard to answer that right now. Um, you know, like, you know, I know that Tyson Fury has some belts and that Jason, uh, Anthony Joshua has some, but it's, I, one other thing, those are not Americans. And, um, I think that's something that our country is kind of lost having an American heavyweight. We had Deontay Wilder, um, but before that we had Klitschko for several years. So boxing, I think it, it's finding its way. And, and um, you know, I was talking to different journalists um, this summer and while boxing, um, you know, they tried to put it on on the beginning of COVID when combat sports seemed to be the only sport that could be safely done. And it, the numbers were pretty bad, pretty, very low. And that's because no one knew who they were. They, uh, you know, boxing, um, you knew the, know the people at the top, but you really don't know the other people who are making their way up. And um, they have a lot of more kind of um, uh, mixed mix matches and, and they, you know, they have trial horse kind of fighters who, um, that, that they pitch fighters up to. Um, but now, so boxing, I think they really need to rethink because uh, I don't think it'll get back there. Um, as of now. Now, UFC and mixed martial arts, I think um, we are seeing it's still, you know, we, we thought it was peaking back in 2016 when we had Connor fighting how many times a year along with Ronda Rousey and we had so many over a million dollar pay-per-views. Um, 
almost two million. And um, I think they did so well in COVID in terms of adjusting, making it safer and safer. Fight Island, wow, was that a gift that they got from Abu Dhabi. Um, I think that you see the numbers from the Con McGregor, uh, Dustin Poirier pay-per-view. I, um, I see that sport as gaining momentum. Um, we, especially the longer quarantine and stay at home continues. I don't know how they're um, going to do other sports and bringing them about because I don't think they translated as well without crowds. Um, maybe basketball a little bit, but I found, I think that baseball really lost without the crowd attendance. So I think that um, USC, it's a global sport that I think is still peaking. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. There are you know, different sides to the argument where some people believe that it has peaked, uh, especially after, with, with the, the Conor McGregor era that you don't see anyone else that's going to be able to leverage themselves to become a brand bigger than the UFC by themselves. But on the flip side of that, with, uh, with the COVID-19 era and being that MMA was the first and probably, like you said, the only sport that was able to translate well without the crowd there, that this is maybe an opportunity for them to exceed those expectations. So I think it can really, these next like six months or so, or this year itself is really going to be key to see how far um, we can really go with growing in this, this uh, space. I completely agree. Can I ask you a question? I know you sure can. What did you think? Um, because the pay-per-view that we just had with Poye and McGregor, you could actually, they had a crowd members. I think it was, I've heard anywhere from like 2000 or so socially distanced and you really didn't hear them till the main card. It was, for me, it was a little unsettling because I, I had, what about you? I enjoy the fights without a crowd. <laughs> it it sounds, everything sounds much more impactful yeah. and that kind of resonated with me. Mm -hmm. I am not, I'm not a fan person. I've been, I've actually, I've been watching MMA since, mm, man. <laughs> Like the first fight I saw was was um, Dan Severn and Hoist Gracie. Like that was the first fight I remember seeing. So I've been watching it since then, wow. but I've only actually been to three events uh -huh. because I do not like going in person because it it just takes me out of the whole situation, wow. and I'll never go back to another show. Like I actually went to that UFC card that you mentioned that was here when you did the um the panel. I went to that event, and I, after that, I was like, I'm never going again. <laughs> I know it's so. It is interesting because. Uh, there is so much, I think, with um, fighting, kind of like race car driving and um, other sports where um, you can see better from your television screen. You have the commentary. Um, and then a lot of things about the crowd is annoying. You know, when, when, they, um, when they boo unnecessarily or, um, you know, it, 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 it takes away from what, what the action in the ring is all about. Uh, so that's interesting. Do you remember that card? That was, um, when, uh, oh gosh, the, the, the tall Swedish fighter, for some reason, I can't think of his name. Uh, Stefan Struve, him? Struve, yes. The poor guy had a couple, um, low blows. Yes. Like, 
the crowd was laughing at him. And I was yes. just like, oh dear, this isn't good. We, we, you would say the DC area definitely showed themselves that night yes. because I, I, yeah, it, it was pretty bad. Oh, DC. You know, I, those aren't, they aren't from DC. They came in from other. <laughs> Correct. That's what, that's what we will tell everyone. That's what I say about all the craziness in DC. They're, they're, they are not a Washington. So there's two other questions in reference to combat sports I wanted to talk to you about, um, and then we're going to go on to some one more topic. But if you could change anything in the industry, what would you change and why? Oh, wow. I love this. I feel like I, man, if I could be Dana White or if I could have that power, uh, these are great questions. <laughs> I may have to use them in class because uh, it really gets you thinking. If I could change anything, it would be weight cutting. Um, I took my students, I found out where they were doing the, the weigh-ins in DC, actually. Um, it was at the, um, the Grand Hilton in, um, I don't know, are you, so you're, kind of know this area, uh, but they don't, it's not that it's a private event, they just don't publicize it. And thank God, because I took my students there and it was heartbreaking to watch. Uh, Cynthia Calveo, um, she had a bad weight cut and you could, you see them so weak and, um, you know, not even able to walk onto the, you know, the scale and, you know, we're going to witness this person in a cage in 24 hours, um, trying to defend themselves and, and, you know, where someone really wants to punish them and, um, yeah, we saw that there definitely needs to be something to be done there. Um, now, that's the tricky question, right? How to do it. I, I have to think that there's got to be something we can do with um, maintaining a weight two weeks from the event. Um, you know, I know that some people thought about getting their um, hydration levels checked, um, but I feel we could do something. I like that answer. I, I, and that's I, I, my first time I've ever heard anyone bring up weight cutting in that way. But I really appreciate the answer. That is a that is an issue. We're lucky we haven't seen it. Yeah. Something tragic happened. Like I've I've wrestled all throughout high school, so I know the stories of people dying while trying to cut weight. And yeah. we're we're I hate to say lucky, but we're lucky that hasn't happened in MMA yet. I'm, yeah. No, I'm very surprised. I mean, I think yeah, we've had um, other kind of events, not in the USC, but um, did you see that Darren Till? Um, when he was fighting Stephen Thompson, they, they videotaped his weight cut. Yes, yes. Oh, where he goes blind. <laughs> yes, like you go blind. Like That's not funny, but when you think about it, it's like, wait a minute, you go blind, and two days later, you're going to go get into a fist fight? Like, what, what are we doing? No, and it's just, uh, it goes beyond, you know, and just understanding how important we, you know, we cover, we talk a lot about CTE. Because it, it brings in ethics, it brings in civility, it brings in safety and um, biology. Because we now know that there is brain trauma and it can happen. It's not just this punch drunk, um, you know, mythical thing that for some reason boxers get a little crazy when, <laughs> when they age. We know it happens. And, but the other hand, we do, we're more aware and we also know how to prevent um, you know, 
brain trauma to becoming um, chronic and getting um, and having lasting effects. Um, it's one thing where I do see MMA is actually much safer than boxing. Um, you know, every time I see a boxer just, you know, get knocked down, I'm like, there's a concussion. You know, we do the count, come up, gets hit again. Oh, there's another concussion that's right there is exactly what's not supposed to happen. So, um, and I think about weight cutting, I bring this in, is that, you know, the brain is one of the last um, organs to rehydrate. And, and you think of anything you want to have fluid in there to protect it. <laughs> I mean, that's one reason we have that there, you know. And um, so I, you know, I know that, I know that weight classes are needed, right? You're a wrestler. Uh, yes, they are needed. They are needed. Um, you know, I had, do you know what I just had my students, because we just started the semester, I had them watch UFC 1 with the sumo wrestler. Yes. Like, uh, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Against um, the French savant, and I think yes. sumo wrestler was 400 and some pounds, and the French karate was 175. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but I love my students because they they always pick the sumo wrestler to win, and so it's just this <laughs> great. I would love to sit in the room and watch their faces as it as it unfolds. That has to be hilarious. It's great, and for them, they really had no idea. They only know UFC as the product they see now, and they don't really realize its origin. Um, mm-hmm. And and you know and and how it became what it is, um, and, and and the necessary how I'm glad it started with that because it um, you know I think that it it's a sport that found its soul along the way and it's what what made it work. Yeah, because it definitely couldn't have survived if it didn't go through any changes as it did um, when it started to get regulated. So yeah. we would be in a much different space. And actually getting into a different space, I wanted to ask you this last question about it because I wanted to get your your thoughts on mixed martial arts and combat sports as a whole, but specifically mixed martial arts because they're kind of at the forefront now. Why or what are your thoughts on why this industry is struggling to be so inclusive? Um, and it's interesting because if you look at the fighters, that we in mixed martial arts, the fighters are such, they've run from a, such a diverse range of people, like all over the world, different backgrounds. It's almost amazing that there's so many different people fighting in mixed martial arts as whole, especially even in in, in the UFC from so many different backgrounds. But at its core, the sport is struggles to be inclusive, especially towards women. What are some of your thoughts around that as why why we have why we're still having so much of a challenge in that space and like how how do we approach that conversation? Another great question. You know, do you mind if I steal these all for possible essay topics? <laughs> you can have it. You can have them. I will gladly share them with you. Thank you. No, it's a great why. It's a struggle. You know, I think that um, that's just it. It's like MMA, what it is, mixed martial arts, is that it's bringing so many different skills from Thailand, right? Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, along with you know, British striking and American wrestling. And um, and it, so in itself, it's supposed to be this multicultural mix 
right? Of um, and and you see that, especially I love going to like regional MMA. Do you do you ever? Uh, you don't really like it in person, I know, but um, you see such a rich diversity of people because it's 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 the gyms, the local gyms are representing their students, and um, and I love that. Now, it's struggled to be inclusive. We got to look at its history. I mean, combat sports is a mass. It came from a masculine world, uh, and that was defined. And you look at it. Not just that men were doing it, but it was the ultimate masculine um, recognition to be a fighter. Um, you know, it was about honor and um, and strength, and these are the things that people kind of put in this masculine um, gender role. Now, what I love and what I hope, and so I think that that's been hard for people, and that's why like women's boxing has had such a hard time because they were women trying to fit themselves into a masculine sport. And it's still very masculine. If you watch that sport, it's um, you just see that the crowd is mostly older white men and it um, the women would wear boxing shorts like men and it just was them trying to be in that space. Um, but I think that what's changing is that we're recognizing that, you know, gender is a construct and that we, you know, what, especially with MMA, that women, um, very quickly in terms of the time when MMA started and when women first started appearing in, in different promotions, um, you know, the first UFC fight was in 1993. Um, you know, Ronda Rousey, um, and what was that? Um, who did she fight? Uh, it's on my. Yes, Carmouche. Yes, Carmouche. Thank you. 2013, right? So, you know, in the retrospect, um, when you look at the history of, of, you know, even modern boxing, which we kind of trace to the mid 1700s, um, the way that men kept that space. Now, there were women boxers, by the way, um, especially in the like 1700s. There were some great Elizabeth Wilkes Stokes, Wilkinson Stokes um, uh, would train men back there. But it's interesting that was in the Georgia era where women had more freedom. When the Victorian era comes along, women are kind of taken away from that space again. So. It's, I think that I love sharing that with my students to show them that that we have to remember that gender is something that we're not always aware of how society is pushing it into some things. And so we have to remember um, that, you know, women have to, we're in MMA, you know, there were three women fights in the last pay-per-view in Abu Dhabi in a, you know, Middle Eastern country, which tend to be you know, more male focused, um, but we got to keep that going. And um, and in terms of inclusive, in every sense of the world, uh, word, I think that um, we just have to keep aware and be vigilant. Yeah, I think the being vigilant part is important because we have to, we have to push back when there's that there's that uprising of that what seems to be the majority in the sport that is like wrapped up in hatred 
We have to continue pushing back against that. And I really appreciate voices such as yourself, such as Fernanda and so many other people who do vehemently push back. And I really appreciate the space that y'all all have in MMA. Thank you. Can I give a shout out to Julie Kedzie? She's also yes. great with uh, making sure her voice is heard and her voice is as important as any males uh, in that sphere. So um, I appreciate that. And I cannot wait. You know, she's a commentator along with Laura uh, Senko for Invicta, which I'm mm -hmm. so happy to have um, a female um, and the May promotion. I can't wait for the USC to finally bring a female commentator um, to the ring. And that, or to the cage, I should say. I love when people, I love when that conversation started when people were talking about Lauren Seiko doesn't have the credentials per se. And I saw someone tweet out that idea. like, oh, it should be a fighter. It should be someone who fought. Like, well, <laughs> Hello. she's actually stepped into the cage probably gotten into probably more fights than you ever have. So like, let's go ahead and squash that from the jump. Um, I, she's fantastic. I'm so glad that you, yes. And I think that, um, you know, and, and I, I, it is interesting to think about um, what, how much background in fighting one needs, you know, I mean, Joe Rogan, who is the foremost commentator that I think is the most well-known, yes, he fought in Taekwondo tournaments, um, but he has not been an MMA fighter in the cage, and we all respect him so much. So I think that, uh, you know, I think we really need to understand um, that her opinion, and she can talk about men, just like men can talk about women and, um, and you know, because they're fighters, right? Bottom line, they're fighters. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic at her job. And I wanted to close out with one final question about, uh, well, one final question for you. When you're not teaching or watching MMA or thinking about combat sports, how do you spend your time outside of there? How do you get away from sports and combat sports to go do something else? Ah. Yes, another great question. Well, yes, uh, you mentioned I do have another job. I'm a consultant at a nonprofit uh, called Books at Work, which the whole kind of um, idea behind it is that we bring literature into organizations, workplaces, communities to build relationships and to provoke discussion. Uh, so I am lucky that my other job is my kind of uh, space outside of fighting because I get to go and read short stories uh, and and talk to people about literature um, for, you know, and, and, and show people why storytelling is so valuable. Um, and that gets to be, I get also paid for it too. <laughs> so it's my other job. So, um, you know, that's, that's, my other thing. What I have to also give a shot. I love watching like old movies and uh, especially in COVID. Um, I, that's one of my favorite things is to uh, put on um, gloves and an old hat and pretend I'm in a Cary Grant movie. So. <laughs> okay. So I have, so since, you, since you opened the door, I have one question, one last question for you then. Sure. We're in the age now where everything is getting remade. Every single movie, popular show is always getting remade. What's one of the old movies you enjoy that you wouldn't mind seeing it get remade today? And who gets recast as who? This is so good. Oh, I love this question. All right. 
because um, I actually had a discussion about this. So a movie that I would love to be remade. Um, I'm going to say, because I love a screwball comedy. Are you familiar with the screwball comedy of like the 1930s? Um, I, I'm familiar with the term, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's um, usually it was um, like Cary Grant and another um, actress, um, I'm thinking Barbara Stanwyck or someone, and it would just be this, this go back and forth kind of uh, dialogue. And there's one called Lady Eve. Um, and you'll love this. Can I can I tell you what the uh, premise is? Barbara Stanwyck. You sure can. She plays a grifter. I just love that word too, right? You know, someone who um, is trying to, to to get money out of people. And she's on a cruise ship, and her partner is her. I think it's her dad. So they they're a grifter team. And um, Henry Ford is the person. He is a uh, snake expert. Um, and he, she, um, kind of gets him to fall in love with her. Um, but then he, um, he finds out that she's a grifter. And so she comes back as an heiress with a British accent and he falls in love with her again, but doesn't know it's the grifter in the first part. So I love it because it's so crazy a premise. Um, that he falls in love with the same woman but doesn't know it. So I would put, I would put maybe, uh, maybe an Anne Hathaway or, um, uh, let's see who else um, I'm enjoying. Uh, yeah, Anne Hathaway and George Clooney because he's just, he is the modern male cad. Uh, That's pretty interesting that that premise by itself, because it, if you looked at it today, it would sound like a bad Tinder date, <laughs> and like that. And that's the premise right there. Then you could just run with it from that point. Oh my God! But you know what? I love a bad premise sometimes because they are funny. Yes. Do you know? Uh, so my husband and I, we and I don't mean to take too much longer, but we we started watching movies and themes during COVID just to kind of get a reason to watch. So we watched all the Las Vegas movies. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> we watched Showgirls. That movie is so bad, it's it's good. Do you know what I've I mean? heard? I've I've heard it described that way before. I have never actually seen it all the way through. Oh, uh, maybe God. maybe I have, to, I have to fix that. But I have heard that it's so bad that you have to like sit through the whole thing. No, no, it's it's one of those movies where you're just you you laugh more. You know, I heard Cats is similar, but I haven't watched that one. I can't, I can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> Not with that one. I can't, I've tried. I can't, I just can't do it. No, I, I same with me. I just, I can't even do it. Um, well, Nancy, I appreciate your time today. It was fantastic of, to have this conversation. And I wanted to close out and I wanted to give you an opportunity to shout out where you can be found and where your work can be found too. Thank you. Um, well, the website you mentioned for my class is, is um, writeandfight.com. Um, and uh, you can also find me on Twitter at, at nancy.annn.kidder, um, as well as my Instagram's the same one. Um, and yeah, no, and look, I also have a YouTube that's Writing and Fighting on YouTube. 
um, where I put panels and other special guests. Uh, and um, you can find me there. Well, Nancy, I will make sure all of those links are in this show information so everyone can find out how to learn more about you and your work. But again, thank you. And I am glad that we ever got, had the opportunity to talk. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Raphael. And I hope someday we can meet in person. Yes, we will have to make that happen once everything opens back up, whenever that may be. Yes, hopefully soon. <laughs> yes, well, thank yep. you again, and uh, I will be in touch soon. Thank you so much. Take care. You too.